Turn in your Bibles this morning to Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29. Praise God. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no revelation or no vision, it says in some versions, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. Or people, there's all types of versions of that. People perish, it says in some versions. Look at me a moment. This is probably the quickest, <laughs> the quickest sermon I've ever written in my life. I sat down in my seat on Monday or Tuesday with a blank piece of paper and I wrote that in about 10 minutes flat. And you know why? Normally it takes me about a day or two days to write a message. And it took me about 10 minutes to write that from beginning to end. And you know why? Because today's topic is something that, is, that I've lived. Okay? And t today's topic is how to achieve your vision. How to actually find a vision and then implement that vision and end up achieving it. Very often I feel as a pastor that I'm surrounded by people who have a vision, no doubt, but either they've given up on it or they don't know how to actually pursue a vision on biblical grounds. In fact, I, I thought of four categories. On your left and on your right this morning, there are those with no vision, right? Who just don't get it. And they tend to be incredibly difficult people to lead because when a person has no vision for their own lives, they can't understand the vision of any church. They're just confused people. There are people like that, number one, no vision. Secondly, there's, there are those who have had a vision, right? But they have lost it or given up on it. Jesus said this. He said, what? The cares of this life, the concerns of life, grow up like weeds and pull many people down and they never achieve the original vision that was in their hearts, the cares of this world. So there are those with no vision. There are those who have had a vision but they lost it or got consumed by the world and everything in it, right? And thirdly, and again wrongly, there are those who are pursuing the vision, but they're doing it wrongly. They don't know how to, if I can use the term, achieve the goals of God, or how to work with God. They work alone, or work on principles that God simply will not bless in the long term. And the fourth category is really the one we all need to be in. We need to be those who are pursuing our vision, but it's collective, you see, and as you'll see in a moment, all good vision, all lasting vision is actually a collective effort. It's not you on your own. Jesus didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out two by two, and he's left us in the church, which is God's vehicle for driving God's vision on the earth. Now, let me just say something. Look at me a moment. You need this. Scripture says this about you. Without a vision, you are going to, which means what? It means you're going to have the form of a Christian, but you're not going to function correctly. It means the form, but not the function. Remember the shoe example. I think that's the best way in my mind. If I pick up an old shoe and it's full of holes, is it a shoe or is it not? There's a word to describe something like that, and the word is perished. It means it has the form, 
but it doesn't have the function. Dysfunctional. And so are many believers. They have the form, they're in church, they sing, they praise, they clap, but they've lost their key function, right? And that's not what we want. The Bible says, without you having a proper vision, you will perish. You're still a Christian. You've still got that form, but you're actually perishing in terms of achieving the goal of God. So you need a vision. You need to get, I don't care what you do, whether you're a doctor or a pharmacist or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's a blanket statement across the whole world and every Christian in it. Without that vision, you actually don't get anywhere. It's a very frustrating life. I repeat, I sometimes feel that my whole ministry life, I have been surrounded by people who have a vision, but either they have stopped following it because they've given up, or they don't know how to pursue it correctly and thus achieve God's goals. And it's very sad. You can talk about it until the cows come home, but some people just don't get it. And that's what I want to look at this morning as we prepare and begin to look at next year. So the first question I want to ask, very simple. Where do you get your vision from? Don't answer the question. Where are you getting your vision from? The vision for your life. Many of you are making plans, decisions. Where are you getting those decisions from? Who's making those plans? When I meet with, 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 with many of you, many people, I won't say anything. I just sit quiet. It would be really nice to hear you say, God told me. That would be so good to hear that. But so often you do not hear that. God said this, or God said that. Now, we've been through this before about hearing God. I told you, see, for my part, I am ruthless in terms of hearing God. Ruthless. I will stop at nothing, sacrifice anything to have my hearing. Because how can I lead others if I myself can't hear? And I, I praise God, it's a disposition. You must hear. And in that hearing, you get your vision, you get your direction. I'm asking you a question. Where are you getting your vision from? Because in this life, every day, all day, whether you are aware of it or whether you're not, you're actually bombarded by people trying to fish you in, to hook you into their vision. Trying to get you to follow them. It's the first category. The world schemes, if you like, is a, the way I'll put it. And the world schemes are trying to give you a vision of your future that God is not giving you. The get-rich-quick schemes. Have you ever had somebody try and get you into a get-rich-quick? Amen. They're all over the place. And you can say, well, people wouldn't fall for that. Lots of people fall for that. Come and do this, come and follow this, you know, you'll make a million pounds in the first year and all this stuff. The world's schemes, very attractive, and they prey on the naive, those with no experience, the gullible people. Where are you getting your vision from? Because the world, the television, go down on the streets and they will try and sell you their version of your future. And it's not just about finances. They, you can get worldly courses on renewing your mind and all kinds of things. They steal our stuff, you know that? The devil steals our stuff. You can't let him do that. Where do you get your vision from? Is it the world? 
Are you susceptible to that? Well, that's not true vision. It's actually going to get you nowhere. There's no quick fix, you know. There's no quick fix with God. You hear me? Moses, 40 years. Joseph, 14 years in prison. Abraham, 80 years. The Apostle Paul, 30 years before he went to the cross. There's no quick fix. And we need to, as believers, as Christians, get a mindset for the long term. Get a mindset that my decisions, my life, my vision is going to be based on the end result. Begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. What will I end up like? Where am I going? So do you get your vision from the world? You need to get out of that. Secondly, there are church schemes, if I can call it that. And many pastors are susceptible to this. Many churches, members get confused or whatever, you know, and they start putting pressure on the pastor. What's your vision? What's your vision? What's your vision? You know, you get that. And many pastors just, they give in. And you know what they do? You may have been on one. I haven't been on a few. <laughs> they call a weekend away with the leadership team. That's what they do. I remember the first one I ever went on, sitting there and the senior pastor was saying, right, what's your vision? And he's thinking, this is ridiculous. You're making it up. <laughs> You're making your vision up. This, is, this, is, this whole thing is completely absurd. And I didn't say anything. I just left that place and I thought, that's the most crazy way of seeking the vision I've ever seen or heard. And then I realized as, you know, went on in ministry that that's what most people do. That was just a man under pressure to try and come up with something to please the people. Churches have schemes too in terms of vision. And you can often recognize it because they don't last. Things fizzle in and fizzle out, and that's no good. And they do make it up. Church's schemes are often gift-based because your vision is what you're called into. Rather than calling-based, they can be gift-based. And it doesn't last. And, but, but the last type is the type I want you to understand, maybe for the first time today for many of you. You don't get your vision from the world, folks. And you don't get the, your vision based upon your gifting either, for that matter. You get your vision from God. Now, look at me. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will what? Amen. There's a couple of versions there. He will put His desire, His vision. He will put His vision in your heart. In other words, God has a vision. Listen to me. God has a vision of your future. It's His correct, the A plan. God has a vision of your future, and it's in His heart. And if you, this is how you get a vision, if you delight yourself in the Lord, what's His promise? I will put my vision of your future in your heart, and you will begin to understand what I made you for, what I destined you for. You see, all vision is God's. All true vision. It's not your vision. It's not his vision. It's not her vision. All true vision is actually God's. Now, when I was a young man starting out in ministry, I thought I had to have a vision. And that's, I and mean, you often hear people teach that, but it's actually wrong, you know, because the church is the vision, right? The church is God's vision on earth. 
I mean, let me give you a, a very simple worldly example. Let's say Asda. Asda are going to open up a new store in Glasgow somewhere. Now, does the worldwide managing director or whatever CEO of Asda come into Glasgow, walk up to an Asda store and go to someone on a till and say, hi, I'm here. I want to start a store in Glasgow. Does he? No. What does he do? There's a structure. Asda is part of Walmart. They have a worldwide structure. And he would contact this person, that person would contact this person, this person would contact... And the vision would actually filter through human mouths down line until eventually it got to Glasgow. And God's not much different. The Bible speaks of apostles, pastors, prophets, international apostles. That's a different level of ministry. So the vision that I'm interested in is the one that has come into the church, not one I make up myself, not one that the world tries to put on me, not one created by some pastor, but the one when I found VFC, this church, 20 years ago, for the first time I was able to say, now this is one of them. It's a Bible one. It's a real one. It's a real church. It's one of these ones. Didn't come from men. It's not a good idea. It's the real deal. That's why I've been with it all this time. And I advise you to be very careful about what you give your life to. Because you need to give it to the same type of thing. You need to do that. Folks, do you know what? This church, and I thank God for it, and I hope you too, you need to follow the vision of God. And do you know what God's vision is? It's to build His church, not yours. To build His church, that's His vision. It's to save the lost. That's the vision of God. That's the hope of God. And that's the vision He wants to communicate to us. Anything else runs the risk of setting you on the wrong road. And this is why it makes me sad, because so many people fall for this one. Do you see? And then you, you, you lose so many for decades because of foolishness on this issue. So you see visions about God. Two weeks ago, I told you as a church, we have been asked to take responsibility for 20 countries in Eastern Europe. That's fantastic. I want us to really, we're going to have to take that wholeheartedly. But there's an awful lot involved in that. For a start, Pastor Tom has to go to Singapore. And he's going to have to do six months training and then come back here. And I'm going nowhere, by the way. I'm staying right here. Right? I will be Glasgow-based for the long-distant future, as long as I'm alive, I should think. So I'll still be part of this church in every way. But he has to go. Now listen, what Tom's doing is not about Tom. It's not about Tom. It's not about me. What's it about? It's about God's vision. It's about God's vision of what he wants here in Glasgow, and what he wants to see happen, particularly in Eastern Europe. That's what it's about. It's not about you. It's about God. It's all about God. And in order to follow God correctly, you've got to see that. You've got to see God. And not be based in your own life or something someone has foisted on you. Reinhard Bonnke is a great example of this. Everybody know Reinhard Bonnke? Probably the greatest evangelist who has ever lived. Great, great, great guy. He's a German. Uh, works a lot in Africa, but not solely in Africa. 
uh, has worked actually quite a bit in Singapore recently. But you know his story? He was in Bible college with a whole load of guys and gals just like him. But Bonky did things differently. Bonky wanted to see what? What God saw. And his days and nights were spent alone. God, show me what you see. God, give me a vision. Show me. He didn't know what. He didn't know where. He didn't know anything. And one day, he saw something. And it was Africa. And Africa was covered in blood. Got it. Now I've seen what God sees in the future. Now I know where my life belongs. I will give my life to a blood-washed Africa. Now Reinhard Bonnke left Bible college and everybody else left the same. I have no doubt that, because that's what happens, 80%, 90% of those people who finished Bible college, they're like a shooting star. They last about two years and they're finished, like a firework. But Bonnke didn't do that. What he did, actually, he didn't know what to do. So he went to London. And he was walking through the middle of London, and God spoke to him and said, get on, it was a round-the-city tour, a bus. Get on the bus. And he said, okay, get on the bus, round the city. This is all, thanks, Lord, good trip. And he's sitting on the bus. After a certain time, God said, get off the bus. He gets off the bus. Wow, something's happening. Turn left. And he walks and he walks. All of Bonky's life, he had had a hero. I can't, what was it? Roberts was his name. I can't remember his first name. Jeffrey Roberts. He had a hero. He used to read about this man of God. But he had forgotten about him. But he was his role model. Go, Bonky's turn left turn. And he just thinks, Lord, how much further do I have to walk? And he's in a residential street in the middle of nowhere. He's, he feels lost and he just turns his head and there's a brass plaque saying, Jeffrey Roberts. And he thinks, that can't be him, the missionary to Africa. That can't be the real Jeffrey Roberts. No, you must be kidding me. I thought he was dead. So he goes up and he knocks the door and he says, excuse me, I'm sorry. And a housekeeper came to the door. And he said, is this the home of the, you know, Mr. Roberts? She said, yes. But he's very old and frail, and he, he, he doesn't see anybody. And in the, in the background came a voice saying, let him in! Let him in! And Bonky walked in, and that old man came trembling, put his hands on Bonky's head, and they fell to the ground. And to this day, millions have been saved in Africa because of that call. Because one man didn't get tied up in the cares of this life, didn't follow another pastor's vision, but actually sought God and found out what God saw. In his case, it was Africa. For you, it can be something else or somewhere else. No problem. But someone saw the will of God, saw the true vision, the real vision, and this is it. So where do you get your, wish, your vision from? Ask yourself. Be very careful. The second question I would ask you, what is your current vision appealing to? Right? Because there's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Look at me. If the vision of your future has you with so much money that you don't need any faith, hmm, you're so comfortable. All your bills are paid. 
Everything's rosy. Hmm. Where was it you got that vision? <laughs> Just a little bit careful there, you know. Now, I, I completely believe in prosperity. Stay with me. I'm not finished. Because there's a time and place for those things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added. But there is a way of getting to, the, to your vision. There is a way of achieving it in the Bible. There's a right way and a wrong way to do everything. So you've got to be very careful. So do I. Your current vision, friends, what is it appealing to? Your flesh? Is it the world? Is that what that vision is? Is that what, you, is that what you're living out of? Is it your flesh? Because that's all around us. Is it to be comfortable and have no worries and no stress? Is that your Where did you get that vision? You see, there's the world, the flesh, and the devil, or there's the world's vision. There's church visions, like I mentioned. And you've got to be careful of them because they often appeal to the soul. What I mean by that is say you're a worship leader. Oh, you're the best worship leader ever. And it's all focused on you. It's all focused on your gift or something. That's not God. That, 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 that's imbalance. That's wonky. And I can talk about this all day. I know most of you will not understand it, but it doesn't matter that you don't. Sometimes you just need to hear things, and after a while, you get it. But it is important. I, I have spent six weeks talking to you about the difference in gifting and calling. They're two different things. And many of you, I hope, go into some form of ministry, particularly since we're going to plant so many churches in times to come. We need pastors for those churches. But there's a difference in your gift and your call. They're two completely different things. Giftings are cheap. We really don't care if you're gifted, you know? There's plenty of gifted. That's not important, really. There's gifts everywhere. It's not the gift that's important. It's not your gift. We don't need it. It's people who are called. It's people who are called to follow God and will give their lives for God. That's what we're looking for. Now, let me tell you the difference in gifting and calling. When, you, when I got saved, let me use myself as an example, or Pastor Tom, good example. When I get saved, what's my gift? I'm a teacher, teacher, preacher. 100% of my time is spent in that. That's all I do. Pastor Tom is a pastor. So he's gone to Bible college, given up his job. 100% of his time is spent pursuing pastoral things. But look at what happens. If you get it right, as the years go by, your calling starts to emerge. You start to become... You see, it's not about you. You're not called to be a pastor by calling. You're called to plant churches. We're called, do, you, do you understand the difference? I'm not called to teach and preach. Yes, I am. But it's, it's, it's insignificant in comparison. The gift is insignificant in, in eternal measure in comparison to the calling. We're called to extend the kingdom. Go into all the world and extend my kingdom. That's the call. But the church gets obsessed at this side and never reaches maturity, never balances and indeed, by the end of your life, you should be totally absorbed in your calling. Do you see? I know that's complicated, but it's absolutely true. Folks, listen to me. This is one thing that your flesh will never let you do. Your soul will never agree with you to do what I'm saying or to behave like I'm saying. Never. Your flesh will argue with you all day long. This Following the vision of God for your life will only be a spiritual thing. 
You will, God will speak to your spirit. He doesn't speak to anything else. He doesn't speak to your mind. He speaks to your spirit and your spirit alone. God is spirit. That's the, 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 the means of his communication. And I tell you this, friends. You will never achieve the vision of God with your soul. Because your soul will want to be comfortable, not need to use any faith. Your soul will pull you back. Your flesh will pull you back and give you daydreams that didn't originate with God. But if you let God speak to your spirit, then the irony is he will look after you, but you've got to get that. You've got to follow God to, to get there. You know, a very good example. It's like you have to put your foot on the water before you know you can walk on water. You know that? You know what I mean? You have to do it, and people won't do it. But that's what God's like. Seek ye first the kingdom, and you'll get a vision. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will show you his A plan for you. See, God's a visionary. That's what he is. And visionaries tend to really run ahead or cast it out there like Jesus with Peter all those years prior, 30 years, you're going to be crucified, Peter. But it's a long way. And God's a visionary, and if you ever spend time around visionaries, you'll know that they don't pick up the pieces very easily. They see things and go for it. And, you, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a gap there that you have to follow God. And as you do, it's in this place that all things are added to you. Okay? So what vision are you following? Where did you get it from? What's it appealing to? Is it appealing to your comfort zone? You don't want to be challenged or can't rise to the existing challenges. Where'd you get your vision from? And then at the bottom there, there's just some very simple principles. Principles that I've tried, I have failed many times, but principles I know I should live by and principles I currently try and live by in terms of achieving the goal of God for your life. Simple, but incredibly important. Principle number one, you never have to break God's principles to achieve God's goals. Moses tried that. Remember, Moses knew that God would raise him up to deliver the Hebrew people. But in his flesh, he went out and slayed the Egyptian. Now tell me, how long did that cost him? Forty years. And then actually another 40 after that. That's a long mistake, Moses. Trying to do it your own way. You never have to break God's principles to achieve God's goals. So if you tell me that you're pursuing God and you are breaking the principles of Scripture, you're either naive or rebellious or something. You never have to break God's principles ever. He's not going to call you to do that, to achieve his goals. Before I got married, I sat down. I'll never forget it. I sat down with a, a good guy. He was thinking, he had thought many times about going into full-time ministry. He was just about to get married. I was just about to get married. He had no money. I had no money. We had a lot in common. And we're sitting there, you know, what are you going to do? I don't know. What are you going to do? And I, say, I, I, I said to him, what are you going to do? And he said this to me, I'm going to get the best job I can get. Now at this time, we're both thinking full-time, what are we going to do? 
And he did. He went and got work. He got a mortgage. I think it was a 29-year mortgage. And he said to me, what are you going to do? I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to do what a leader should do. I'm going to walk in faith. And I believe that God will meet my needs. That's what I believe. Within about one year, both of us had mortgages. We were both married. I paid mine off in five years. And it took him 29, I presume. There's a right way and a wrong way of doing everything. And if you're being called by God to do anything, you never have to break his principles. There isn't a quick route. There isn't an easier way. If it happened to Moses, if it took Moses 40 years, it's going to take you too, is it? There isn't an easy route. It's better just to commit to the process, which is, I hope, what I have done. And the fruit takes longer that way, but at least you end up with fruit that can be eaten. So number one, you never have to break God's principles. The second one, keep God top of your agenda. Many times over the last few weeks, what have we shown you? Remember my list here about the list of this life. God was number one, right? Is God number one in your life? Put your hand up if God is number one. About half of you. Okay, at least you're honest. Listen to me. God, children, family, studies, leisure time, blah, blah. You know the story. Remember the list. Do you know, please listen, the hardest thing on earth is not to keep God at number one. The hardest thing is to keep him at number two. It's easier to keep him at number one. Because when God's number one, you'll find that there's power. But once he gets to number two, he'll be at number 10 before you look around. It could take you two years, three years, where God is number one in your life. And he really is, and you're serving him, and you're following him. But if he slips to second place, it won't take five minutes before the church has lost its appeal, before you're not worshiping, you're not praying, and you're seeking the things of the world. You just got duped. It's a very, very quick decline. We call them shooting stars, right? You don't want to be a shooting star, my friend. You want to be a rising star. You want to last the course, finish the fight. So where do you get your vision from? If you're getting it from God, then God will be number one. He will be top of your list. And he will remain so. Thirdly, you're going to have to love God. I know that sounds like a, a pat statement, but it isn't, friends. I, I, I remember the night... The night I got saved, I sat in the church and I said, God, I do not love you and I do not want to repent. I want to sin. I'll just tell you the truth, God. I do not want to repent. I want sin. Love you? You must be joking. I do not love you. I think you exist now because I've met someone who's born again. So now I'm frightened. That's the only reason I'm here. I'm here because I'm afraid because I think he's born again. That means I'm going to hell. That's bad news for me. But I don't love you. And I certainly don't want to repent. And I, it took me two and a half weeks going to that church and saying the same thing. 
the love of God, they reckon it takes the average pastor 12 years. Sorry, folks. That's what they reckon. After doing studies, a huge study was done in America by R.C. Sproul. And it was a confidential study asking pastors, when did you, pastors who had been in ministry for like 40 or 50 years, when, when you look back over your life, when did you actually start loving God and serving God instead of yourself? And when the truthful reports came back, the average pastor took 12 years to actually do what they do for God. Jesus, God help us. If that's our leaders, what, help, what chance does the church have? No wonder it's in the mess around the world that it is. You see, things haven't changed. Look, listen, here's Jesus. 12 men follow Jesus, remember? And they follow him for three years through terrible times. They follow him here, they follow him there. But remember what happened. He tells them everything. He explains everything. And they walk into the Garden of Gethsemane and the Roman soldiers come. What did the 12 men do? Every single one ran away. Last Sunday night, that was probably one of the most powerful messages not gifted, but powerful messages we've ever heard in this church from Pastor Rakish. It was outstanding. And he mentioned this point. He said to us, remember, why did they leave? What caused these 12 men to leave? And he gave us a list of each. One thought that they were following Jesus because he would be a political leader. Judas followed him for money. The other, and he went through what each of the 12 followed Jesus for. Now listen. It's true. It's absolutely true. And we know it's true because as soon as the cross appeared, those 12 men who had actually followed Jesus for their own reasons, when they saw the cross, they said, Oh my God, he was, you're going you're gonna to be crucified? You mean you were telling the truth? You mean this is about sacrifice? Well, I'm not up for that. I'm up. All of them, all of them, there was no exception. When they actually realized that following God meant they needed to have faith and they needed to sacrifice, all of them were unable to make that commitment and all of them backslid. And the first one back was the one who loved God the most, John. And it drew him back. And repentance. Wow, what a picture. What a picture. You see, <laughs> seek God, follow God, and get into His vision because it's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that's going to last you, friend. Nothing else counts. I told you the story of Sheila Cassidy. She wrote a book called Audacity to Believe. She was a doctor studying here in Cambridge University. She was a Christian and she felt a call of God on her life to go to Chile where there was persecution. But she had rose-colored glasses and she thought everything's going to be, you know, following Jesus is all about me. I'm going to have a great life. So off Sheila Cassidy goes to Chile. Well, little did she know that they were persecuting then. Pinochet, who recently died in London, was ordering that Christians be arrested. And Sheila Cassidy was arrested and thrown in a prison cell. And she thought, God, this wasn't my vision. That's right, it wasn't your vision. You should have sought me before you start following me. 
at least ask me what I'm asking of you. At least do me that, you know, respect of asking me what it means to follow me. And she'd have cast he was in there, so the soldiers would come in night after night, strip her naked, and torture her with electrical probes. She wrote in a book about it. And she wrote her life. Before she left the UK, she wrote her life on a blank check. And she said, my life. And she gave it to God before she left Britain. And she said when the soldiers would carry her back and they would throw her in her cell, she would get up and scream at God and rip up that imaginary check and throw it into God's face. Follow you for this? Is this why I left Britain? Is this why I came here to suffer? And of course, there's silence coming back from heaven. God's saying, read the book. No one deceived you. You got worldly ideas, men's visions, men's dreams. Read the book. I never deceived you. You had rosy ideas about the future and following me. Well, if you're actually going to follow me, guess what? It's going to cost you, Sheila. And she had a huge conversion experience, came back to the UK and, and, and produced that book. It's called Audacity to Believe, that when she recovered from it and came out of it, it's, it's excellent, absolutely excellent, heart-rendering. Number four, principles for achieving God's vision. You need to remain in prayer. My God, do we need to remain in prayer. If you stop praying, friends, you're a fool. You're a fool. Only a fool would stop praying. Right? How an, prayer is the source of your grace. Prayer is the source of your life. I have never prayed as much in my life as I pray right now. Never. I've never given so many hours to it, never been up so late, never got up so early. And I love it. It's not easy. In fact, this week we had some real attack, not from this city, from another place. Some real, but we also had a great blessing this week, praise God. You need to pray. You need to stay in prayer. Because it's the only thing that will sustain you, or you will end up down that list so fast, people won't recognize you anymore. And the last one, ingredients for fulfilling your vision. Very simple, but I close, friends, by asking you, in life, we have so many career people here, so many. More than half of this church is involved in a career. That's absolutely fine. But I ask you this question. Listen carefully to it. Are you driven or are you called? Because many of you are in a career and it's a lifelong career, that's fine, no problem. But you can always tell a driven person because they move from one achievement to the next achievement and their whole life is actually based upon what? Achievement. Starts normally very young. When people get a round of applause because they sang well, danced well, or did something well, and they become nearly addicted to achievement. And it's not about any particular goal. It's just about achievement. That's not what God calls us to. It's not about your next title. Are you driven? Or are you called? Do you have a vision? And whose vision is it? Some essential ingredients at the very end of your notes. What do I need? I, you need a vision. <laughs> and for me, I want the corporate vision. I don't want my own vision. I want to give my life to the work of the church. Not my church, his church, God's church. 
I want to serve the real thing because I've only got one life. I'm going to have to love God. I'm going to have to know that sacrifice is part of the deal. I'm going to have to be patient like Moses and Peter and all of them. I'm going to need faithfulness, diligence, altruism. That just means good motivation. But ultimately, the biggest piece of advice that Solomon gives us. You know, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. That's what the Bible says. And when it comes to achieving your goals, Solomon gives this one piece of cracking advice. In fact, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs were both written to help you achieve your goals and your vision. That's primarily where he's coming from. Fantastic books. And there's that little line in there, and it says this. He who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. And I have, God forgive me, but I have preached on that, that passage many times, and I've always used it for evangelism. You know, he who wins souls is wise and everything else. It's not talking about evangelism. There was no evangelism. Solomon had no, there wasn't any. This is before those days, right? So there was one kingdom, and it was the kingdom of Solomon. And the, 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 the word of God was only with the Jews. It never went to the Gentiles at that stage. So there was no evangelism. It's not about soul winning, the line. He who wins souls is wise. It's not about soul winning. And it's got nothing to do with evangelism, but it sounds good, so we use it, you know. <laughs> he who wins, what's he talking about? He who wins souls is wise. Do you know what Solomon's talking about? Solomon was one of the greatest visionaries in the whole of Scripture. He had a huge vision. It was to build a temple, a fantastic temple. And he wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes to a young man to warn him about how to achieve the goal. And the principal lesson of both books is this. People! <laughs> Solomon! Don't forget people! He who wins souls is... A, Solomon was involved in an import-export business, basically. And it was with a guy, a guy called Hiram. And he who wins souls is wise means this. You've got your vision, but you can't achieve it on your own. Not even Solomon, the wisest and the richest man who ever lived, not even Solomon could achieve it alone. He needed Hiram. He needed people to, to back his vision, if you like. So he says, he who wins souls over to his vision, he's wise. Do you understand that? Because it's a core principle for any success, if you like, in these terms of achieving the vision of God, people are involved. And Solomon advises me, keep good, healthy relationships with everybody around you, and you can achieve that vision. He who wins souls is wise. We were going to have an evening meeting tonight, but I don't think it's still snowing, so I don't think we should because people have to go. Brenda's got to go a long way. Tom's got to go a long way. So we're not, definitely not going to have one. But tonight, we were going to look at these next two sheets. One of them is about goals. A goal is something you know you need to achieve. It's not something you're seeking God for. And a dream is what you, maybe you're not sure about. It's maybe just a dream you've got about the future, about how, what shape you see your future in. And I was going to ask you to go away today and think and come back tonight. In fact, we did this on Friday night, and I thought the spirit there was beautiful on Friday night. It was a real, real broken-hearted spirit in the place. Thank God for that. Because what we did was this. In all things, by prayer 
and petition. Petition is when you join with the church, you write down your dream, and you pray together with us. And we back you. We, we, we come together. It's a petition, right? And that's what we did on Friday. I was going to do that tonight, but we won't have the time. I'll just invite the worship team back. But why not take this home? And you start to get your goals and your visions and your dreams together for 2011, right? I don't care if you've got one dream, one goal, or whether you can fill up those sheets and fill up 20 others. It doesn't really matter. What we're interested in is where you're getting it from. Who's giving you that dream? I want you to seek God and get God's dream, get God's vision for your future. Amen? We'll deal with this more in weeks to come and after Christmas. Um, just stand to your feet. Thanks, Kay. Just close your eyes one moment. Hallelujah, Father. God, as we come near to 2011, near to the new year, I pray you would help us to clear out the clutter, clear out the old, and bring in the new, to change our minds, and to get a vision of the future as you see it. God, open our eyes. We delight ourselves in you this morning. And we ask you to, to, to give us the vision of us that you see. How do you see my future? What does it look like, God? Forgive my carnality and show me a vision of me, of us, of the future and how we fit. And give us the wisdom and the grace to actually implement it, not to be, as Paul says, as one who beats the wind, but to actually achieve the goal of God for our lives. I just give you a moment to make your peace with God and to commit 2011 and beyond into his hands.